Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus 20? Exodus 20, it's here we read from God's law, and we will read the fourth commandment, verses 8 through 11. In connection with that, we will also turn in our forms and prayers book to page 246, 246, Lord's Day 38. Before we read from God's word, let's ask for God's blessing. Dear Lord, we have turned to, to your word and specifically to your law, although the law that calls to keep the Sabbath day holy. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand what that means as, as well as that we could get at the heart of how we keep that, our desire only being for service to you, our desire being to show forth the name of Christ, our love for what he has done, and, uh, and taking advantage of the opportunity you've given us to worship his name, to grow closer to him. We ask this in your name. Amen. Exodus 28 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And we will read now Lord's Day 38, which tries and seeks to explain from all scripture how we keep the fourth commandment. What is God's will for us? That is Lord's Day 38. It says in its question, what is God's will for you in the fourth commandment? First, that the gospel ministry and schools for it be maintained, and that especially on the festive day of rest, I diligently attend the assembly of God's people to learn what God's word teaches to participate in the sacraments, to pray to the Lord publicly, and to bring Christian offerings for the poor. Second, that every day of my life I rest from my evil ways. Let the Lord work in me through his Spirit, and so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. People of God, one of the most debated commandments is in fact the fourth commandment. Debated. What do I mean by that? It's debated in the sense of the do's and don'ts of the command. If you were to ask 30 different Christians, you'd probably get 30 different answers for just what it means and how it must be kept, how the fourth commandment is to be obeyed, and, and, and it very quickly devolves into the, the do's and don'ts. What can and can't, what we, what we can we and what can't we do on this day? It's almost always how you see it go, and that's very sad. It's very sad that a command, a something such a blessing, so rich, just always seems to go that way and into the questioning of, well, what, what can we do? And in many cases, it seems to be, what can we get away with? 
It's a, a difficult topic, as I said. There are those who will argue in various points on what can and cannot be done, what has and has not been fulfilled about the fourth commandment. You, you even see we don't keep it in the New Testament as they did in the Old and the day in which we, we observe it, right? It's not the Sabbath. It is now the Lord's Day. It is now Sunday, the first day of the week that, that we gather. So you see there, there, there certainly has been a change but just how much has changed? How, how, do we, how do we follow it and keep it? Like I said, it is sad. It is sad that we so quickly... This command, almost more than any other, it would seem, so just falls into that negative way of thinking about it. And we, we lose the richness there. And, and the reason I say that is because I think as, as we extol the richness of what it is, we should hopefully see that that helps us in determining how best and how we ought to keep it. By putting before us its richness and what we get to do and what, what yes, we are called to do, but the blessing that it is, it should foster and stoke within us the desire to worship the Lord and to, as the Catechism will get, to rest in him. You know, there's an eternal element that you see in the Catechism to the Sabbath day. You see, it, it isn't supposed to only be confined to a single day, but it's giving us a principle as well that we are to follow, a life of worship, a life of rest, resting from what is sinful, resting in our Lord Jesus Christ, worshiping him well. In the Old Testament, the application of this law often ran off the rails, Often the people ignored it or broke it. You see that, that even the exile itself was in large part God put on the fact that they did not keep the Sabbaths. And why was so much of it surrounding that commandment? Because the Sabbath in the Old Testament was especially something of a test. A test of the faithfulness of the people. A test for would they rest in God? And, and even there you see, you want to just say, why are we so thick-headed that God would have to tell the people, listen, I'm commanding you to rest and worship. And yet, you, you see countless times in the Old Testament where that was ignored. You see that it was put aside to continue to work, to continue to gain wealth, or by the mere fact that there wasn't a lot of trust that God could or would provide. You can think of the examples when the, the, the people of Israel would broke, break the commandments. Some of them would. God would say, only gather double on the day before and not gather on that day. And what did the people do? They, they would go out and try to gather again. You, and you see the, the test part of that. See, the test is, will you trust God enough to be able to rest? Would you trust God enough to be able to take time to rest in him and to worship and count on the fact that he will provide? That is a test. Will we trust in God? So there's that element of, of trust, but it tests as well our humility. You see, the, on the one side, to, to command someone to rest, especially in a day and an age where it was you needed your food, and your food was that day that you got quite often, so there was that, that need to provide and that thinking it's on me to provide, and so there's that, that way in which it was difficult for them there, but, but as of just like today, there was... The other side of it, listen, this is another day I can get ahead. This is another day in which I can maximize profits, I can maximize my time. It's another day for us, for me. That was, that was the battle. And so you see the test in it. 
And I would say if we could apply from the Old Testament to the New, there is still that element here today. There is perhaps not as strongly worded, perhaps not as strong repercussions, certainly, as what the Old Testament did demand of the the people of God as they were the, the kingdom of God itself. But we see that same test to to worship and to to prioritize worship will mean we do have to rest, we do have to take the time to do it, we do have to trust that God will provide, and we have to be humble enough to know that, that we must set aside time for him. It isn't all about us. It isn't all about what we might gain. It isn't about all how we could use this day for ourselves. Now certainly there's an element there. There's an element that is freely given of this day to be used and enjoyed, and and, and there's the appropriate way to say, how can I best enjoy this? But it's not in the selfish way that that sets what God would have aside and say, well, it's all for me. Often they had abandoned what the Sabbath was. We also see in the New Testament the flip side of that. You can see the the sort of ignoring of it, but you can also see the way in which it became over-prioritized, over-promised, over-lawed. And Jesus was fighting against that in the Gospels. A a command that was was given for the benefit and enrichment of the people, for, for the opportunity to worship God and to rest from labor, was twisted and it became command that was tedious to follow, that sort of sapped the very energy and idea of what the day was, didn't understand that there was supposed to be good done on that day. You see, it wasn't meant to be the absence of any activity, It was meant to be activity that was geared towards rest and to the kingdom of God and worship. That that was the very idea and intent of it, and that was lost by those who who said, no, you can't carry your burden further than this mile. You, You have to stay within this radius of home, and it stifled what this command was. So you see both elements. You see both dangers that you can fall into. And what I would say is what we see the two dangers today, where many will fall into under-prioritizing the day, ignoring it, under-prioritizing the time, or perhaps, maybe over-prioritizing isn't the right word, but, but wrongly prioritizing it to, to the expense of what the day was meant to be, and making it a day only of don'ts, and making it a day that, that might put forward a more legalistic idea instead of what it was meant to be, a festive day of rest festive day of rest, that we would look upon our, our rest in the Lord, not as a, oh no, it's Sunday, but a blessing of this we get to go do, we get to gather with those we love, we get to be nourished and fed, we get to sing and, and bring forth our heart's desire, we get to, in between that day, rest from labors, have time in fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ and with our family, we can gather again and worship God. This is that festive day, what we are called to keep. The Old Testament Sabbath certainly meant more than rest alone. In Leviticus 23, it shows the worship element as it calls for a holy convocation. That's what it called for on the Sabbath in the Old Testament, and that holy convocation means a public meeting or assembly, a gathering. You see a practice like that continue after the exile in the synagogue when they would gather together on that day. Christ did that. Often the apostles would gather as well in synagogue meetings on that day to read God's word, to pray and worship. You see that practice continue. But what about now? 
What about in our life? What about the activity of the Lord's Day? So we see the activity of the Lord's Day. The Catechism says, and this an explanation, that the gospel ministry and schools for it be maintained. That's the, the first element of it, the idea that connected with, with the command to rest and worship that's in the fourth commandment is that maintenance and maintaining the, the, the schooling of God's people. That they would be educated and know that they'd be fed, that the word of God would be presented to them, that it would be kept How will we know the gospel unless we prioritize it, unless we teach it, unless we do it regularly? So you you see, even in in trying to understand, well, how has this commandment changed from the Old Testament to the New? You begin to see, well, there's still a command on God's people to gather and be fed, to be nourished for the preaching of the gospel. That's commanded in God's word. It commands gathering. uh, The Catechism continues, and that especially on the festive day of rest, I diligently attend the assembly of God's people to learn what God's word teaches. That's a call from from Scripture itself to be in the word, to, to hear the preaching, to meditate on it. Romans 10 goes so far as to say that our our strength of faith and faith itself can only grow and be nurtured by the preaching of God's word and the Holy Spirit's use of it. So this would... Not that, that, that necessarily we would struggle with this idea much, but there are those who would say, well, there is no command to gather anymore. The fourth commandment is entirely abrogated. It's entirely put away, is what they would say. Well, you begin to, to see that cannot be the case. Though the people of God were called to gather. They were called to participate in sacraments. They were called to hear the preaching of God's word. How can we do that unless we gather, unless there's that call to gather? It's not only seen in the need, it's it's what we need most, but it's seen in the very idea of what Scripture would call us to do. Hebrews 10, 23 and following says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Don't neglect the gathering of the saints. That's what Hebrews says. Do not neglect to meet together. Your habitual pattern of life should not be one that neglects worship and neglects the gathering of the saints. It is to be prioritized. We are in no less need of rest and worship than the Jews were. We certainly need rest and worship as well, and when we neglect it, you see what havoc it wreaks in our spiritual life. It, it, it takes it away. It's, nourished, it's malnourished. It's famished. There is certainly greater freedom purposely given in the New Testament observance of this commandment, and that's fitting, the law that, as Paul will explain, the law was, was that babysitter, was the, the babysitter in which it was meant to instruct and, and, and be there for, for, for the immature. It was meant to be there to foster growth. And in the New Testament, the idea is this is the, the mature community. There's a freedom given there, a, a loosening of some of the Old Testament requirements and strictures of it. And yet I can tell you what great maturity of the faith looks like, and it's not to neglect worship and preaching and physical rest. 
The mature response is to prioritize that, and as Hebrews says, to, to be there, to not neglect it. Worship isn't less important now than what it ever has been. And you see in that as well the call. And that's why it's right for the church to teach, to correct, and even to rebuke when a member would show disrespect or a life that unduly ignores the Lord's Day. And I say it that way purposefully, that there can be and should be correction to to those that would unduly ignore the Lord's Day. I say unduly because we recognize that there are times and situations and circumstances which may keep one from attending. Certainly acts of mercy and necessity. There are situations in life in which we are placed that, that we have to determine, can, can we come? Can we make it? And, and that's, that's not to say then in this strict way that if you've missed a service, you've, you're done. It's, that's, that's not the idea. The idea is where is your heart? And do you habitually and regularly participate and prioritize it above all lesser matters? And so for those who would unduly ignore this, there is that, that call there's that call to, to grow in maturity, to grow in your observance and how you would keep it, to prioritize that. I've used these points before, but they are helpful. The Synod of Dort, in its discussions on the Sabbath, provides six points about it. First, the first point it says is, in the fourth commandment of God's law, there is a ceremonial and a moral element. And that's what we've already said. There's a ceremonial and a moral element. There's a ceremonial element that has been done away with. The second point says, The rest on the seventh day after the creation and the strict observance of this day with which the Jewish people were charged particularly was ceremonial. You see, that rest on the seventh day, we don't follow that anymore. There there was a ceremonial aspect that, that was a part of that. As well as, it says, the, the, the particular way in which the Jewish people were called to observe it. That was ceremonial and passed away. The third point says that a definite and appointed day has been set aside to the service of God and that for this purpose as much rest is required as is necessary for the service of God and for hallowed contemplation. This element is moral. So the moral aspect of it is that there is still to be a day set aside to worship God, to come before him, to gather with the people, to contemplate and meditate on his word, to offer worship, to take offerings. There there is still a day required and called for that. That's still a moral call. The fourth point says, The Sabbath of of the Jews having been set aside, Christians are in duty bound to hallow the day of the Lord solemnly. We see the example of the early church. That's going to be the next point, that from the earliest of days, the apostles and followers of Christ and the church met and gathered on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, the day of new creation, the day of Christ's resurrection, the day that would point to the new heavens and new earth, and that was appropriate and fitting. The day has changed. Yes, but the call to to come and partake is still binding Five, this day has always been kept in the early church, as I said. And then six, this day must be so consecrated unto the service of God that upon it men rest from all servile labors except those required by charity and present necessities and likewise from all such recreations as prevent the service of God. 
And that's, that's the call. We are to prioritize worship, which, which means that it doesn't mean Sunday is a day that is set aside only for attending worship in a nap, and if you do anything more than that, you've broken it. No, that's not the idea, but you see, and even in that point, that there is the prioritizing of rest to worship. The need to take rest so that you can worship. These are very helpful points when we apply the Sabbath to our situation, but there's a step as we began, and we've already fallen into it, there's a step in these debates that always jumps right to the line of no return. What's the minimal requirement? Do I have to be at every worship service? Right? Those types of questions. Just as negative to begin with. Just sort of, in many ways, shows our, our heart's desire or lack of it. This always includes debates on worship and attendance, how much to attend. That's why I want to look at the, the heart of the Lord's Day in our second point, the heart of the Lord's Day. In my opinion, this is what gets most neglected in these conversations, and it begins with the second point that the Catechism gives, that every day of my life I rest from my evil ways. Let the Lord work in me through his Spirit, and so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. See, what the Catechism is doing there, it's putting it in the heart. It's internalizing the very keeping of this command, not at the expense of the actual day that we gather. By saying there is an eternal element doesn't mean that there isn't a weekly element, but what it's showing you is that to properly keep this, it's supposed to so be in our hearts that we would rest from all evil and that we would rest in the Spirit and in the way in which we grow in Him. You see, it's the heartfelt aspect, the desire by which we we would rest in Christ himself and we would expect him to work in us and to operate in us, that we would put sin to death. You see, this can characterize then Monday through Saturday and should, that every day of our lives we are keeping the Sabbath, we're keeping it in that we've, we've put to death sin and are actively putting it to death. And we see our growth in the Spirit. And in that way, we begin the eternal Sabbath. Again, not to the neglect, as Hebrews says, of the corporate gathering, but the maximal interpretation of what this commandment is. And when we understand that maximal interpretation, we ought to understand the weekly and how we keep that. The fourth commandment had always been one of rest from creation itself, grounded in the rest that God had taken and and gifted to his people, a day that showed creation was, was for a purpose. Six days of work and labor in which we could then take time aside and rest in God and praise his name. Glory in him. What a festive day. And that principle remains today, but the heart is key. What do we display to God when we live in such a way that we regularly would ignore corporate worship, if that's indeed what we do? We need to ask ourselves, why? Why would I choose something else over worship? We have to ask ourselves, is it wise to do that? Understanding again that we don't go to the pharisaical route that was, was oppressive and didn't understand situations and circumstances, but, but in your own heart... You ask that question, is it wise? How best do I glorify God and what is he calling me to do? Is neglecting it best for me and my family? I would put that to fathers especially. 
You are called to be the spiritual heads of your home, and often that means you might need, need to make the difficult decision to do perhaps what is not most convenient, but what is best spiritually for your wife, for your family. Are you willing to make that call? Are you willing to make that stand? Or are you the one that's showing more the desire not to do it and not to prioritize that? And if that's the case, if you see in yourself a lack of that desire, shame on you. Shame on you for, for not extolling what is living before Christ and worshiping him and showing that that's your heartfelt and true desire. You see, often when we examine ourselves, we find that other things are either just as important or more important to us than resting in God. By this, we end up saying something about our relationship with God, and it becomes, again, something of a test for us, just as it was in the Old Testament. It is a choice to either prioritize our relationship with God or to prioritize other things over that relationship. This is an application to the heart, and we should think the same about everything in our life. We are to, to be mindful of this. Hebrews 4, 9-11 through 11 says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. I'm going to pause right there and say there, there, that should show us that the, the full Sabbath hasn't come yet. It's come already and that Christ has come, but there does remain a Sabbath rest for us. It says, For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. This passage shows that as we daily live for God, we fulfill this commandment. We are showing that desire for that eternal aspect of rest in him. I do want to say some more words on the heart, and especially as how it relates to worship. And say, Pastor, why are you pounding this so much? Well, because it's incredibly important. And it's a mark of all churches that have faded away and fallen and become false churches, that what slipped with the heartfelt desire to prioritize worship. I say heartfelt desire to prioritize it because there's a wrong way. Yeah, we gather, yeah, we gather, but our heart's not in it. That's a wrong way. No, it's the, the heartfelt desire to worship. And where that's not prioritized, the church dies. And we have more than enough examples of seeing that in history and we can look in our heart to know that as we would slip in that, our, our own spiritual strength and maturity slips as well. The church exercises its authority in calling the saints to worship as the elders do. Many will argue, well, there's not the command for two services on a Sunday in God's word. It doesn't say that, and that's true. There is no text that says, thou shalt gather twice on the Lord's day and worship him. But in the authority that God has given to the elders, they have determined that it is best for the people to gather together in morning and evening on this, the Lord's day, and to keep it for him. And in so doing, keep the, the fourth commandment, the commandment to, that calls us to rest and worship God. And so they call to gather then. Now what does that mean? Now I want to preface this with the understanding, again, of works of necessity, mercy, of circumstances that do arise. And what I'm saying is not meant for those who truly desire to worship but are often placed in a hard situations that would, and we would say legitimately, thwart that desire that has to be worked through, but there are those, those situations. But what I'm saying is for those who would show a lack of the desire to worship and display in themselves a maturity by which they approach that day 
and approach worship itself. We must fight against that heart that doesn't want to give to God the worship he deserves or just that simply neglects it. Neglects what is a blessing, neglects what your spiritual authorities would be saying, calling you to come and do this is best and for you. I want to illustrate it this way. One commentator tells the story of a beggar on the street asking for money, and a man walking by took pity on him. This beggar was there. He needed help. He was asking for help. And so this man passing by had $7 in his pocket. He was moved to such pity that he gave the beggar six of the $7. And the beggar's response was to strike him across the face and take the remaining dollar for himself. You see, that in a sense illustrates what we can often do when God gives us six days to go about our work and labor and calls us to in one day worship him. And we would say, no, give us that one too. Or at least we're only going to give a part of it. You see, we are constantly trying to diminish what we might give to God and how we might worship before him. As I said when we began, there is difficulty in navigating a lot of the do's and don'ts of, of what can be done on the, fourth, uh, on, on the Sabbath and the fourth commandment. But you know what cuts through most of that is this. Most of the time we cut through it with this line of reasoning. I need the Lord. I want the Lord. He calls me to worship. My elders call me to worship him. And I will do that every day of my life, and I will not neglect the spiritual gathering of word and sacrament and fellowship with my brothers and sisters in the process. See, it's that heartfelt line of reasoning that often gets past a lot of these things. And, and I'll illustrate it in another way, in a personal example. Uh, shortly after getting married, Lauren and I attended a church. It had two services, morning and evening services. And as, as is often the case, the morning service would be packed, it would be full, and the evening service would be, have a fraction of the amount there. It was tiny in comparison. And this was just the, the ordinary way of things. And, and we see that in the churches in America roundly, that the opportunity to worship again is often rejected, ignored, or neglected. But every time we'd pull in, and the, the parking lot would be basically empty. And that's what you almost came to expect, sadly. And then the Christmas season came around, and it was the Sunday school program and Christmas program, and it was set for an evening service. And as you pulled into the parking lot then, it was packed, full. Nothing against coming to, to see a Christmas program or having a Sunday school program. However, it made me think, and I kind of said it as it dawned on me, I'm, I'm glad that we can prioritize the children and a Christmas program, but just not God himself. You may think, is that a little harsh? Yeah, probably, but I would say rightly. Rightly so. That, that it seems as if, if, if we would hold some event, and we could even call it some special event, then people will be there. But just what's not quite special enough is worship of the eternal God as he comes here and in a special way gathers with the people and feeds us spiritually. How many people, I wonder, would be there for that program? Or how many people would be there if a celebrity were to show up and sign autographs, you know? How many people can Taylor Swift draw to churches if she were to come to a church and have an autograph signing versus when God of the universe is here, present there? The parking lots lie empty. 
See, that's, no matter what way you slice it, that's not a healthy idea of an understanding of worship, an understanding of how we please God in it. You see how you get at it with the heart? To put it another way, it's often said the way to draw people in is to give them a meal. And in the, the broader churches, I wonder how much better they could gather and get their, their congregants to come if they would offer a free cheeseburger versus what's actually being offered in the, the bread and water of life in Christ himself. We use wisdom, brothers and sisters, in how we keep it. Yes, we do. But examine your heart. What would, would make us truly turn away from it? At least as Hebrews would say, as the habitual pattern of life. And what we would do weekly. Again, I'm not trying to pour down a, a heaping amount of, of guilt for a time or two that for other situations that you can't attend. And that's not the point of Scripture. It's the pattern of life. And the heart. Do you manifest that desire? If you question just how powerfully God is present, read Hebrews 12, 18 through 19, and what we come to in our worship. It's chilling. It's amazing. That's what I hate, you know. As a pastor, you get these questions. Can I mow the lawn on Sunday? Can I skip church for hunting? Can I do this or that? And, and I just want to say, but why isn't it, pastor? I would, I would not make the habit of neglecting it. I, I wouldn't neglect what is the, the better option, the better desire, the, 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 the thing that shows and that, that my heart and I love God and which I need and, and which I want to render and give to him. Why are we so quick to be willing to just dispense with that and part with it? The old sayings often do fall flat about how we can get people to come but what is true is the, the water and bread of life is here. And, and that's what I want us to see. I don't want to end on the negative note. I want to end on that positive of, of what the blessing of the fourth commandment is. And that's an eternal rest in God by which we get foretastes in our weekly gathering. Amazing blessings in that way. A festive day. To learn and to to grow closer to God's word and to be instructed, and we need it. We need it every day. We need God's word. And we get it specially as the Holy Spirit works it in the preaching of the word. We need fellowship with each other. We need to prioritize the blessing that it is to pray publicly and to, to sing songs with our brothers and sisters and to be with them on that day to, to worship and rest in that principle to feast on Christ. That is what we're to do in the fourth commandment, and, and, and we begin it in this life already. Eternally, we've already begun it in part to feast on him, to be more and more strengthened in our union with him, and this truly is the beginning of the eternal Sabbath now. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are coming before you and we pray that our desire 
as in keeping with your word and your commandment, would be to offer to you worship and to truly rest in you. Lord, we pray that you would give to us wisdom. Situations arise in life, questions come, and, and we have to, to work through it, but we pray that our heart would, would help guide us there, as well as the instruction from your word to what matters, what's wise, what's important, what gives you glory. Father, we, we ask that in all things we would seek to, to show the, the Sabbath eternally now, that we would have rested from, from sin, we would be resting in you and even awaiting and, and praying for, fostering the Spirit's work in our hearts now. We ask this, that you would be glorified in all things. Amen.